morning, everyone. So glad you're here. Ever since Father's Day, uh, we've been looking at Psalm 23 uh, in an in-depth kind of way. And we've been holding out these verses as a kind of pattern for what it looks like to live uh, a life abiding in God. And so week one, we talked about how David allowed God to be his shepherd and his Lord, that, that he expressed a place of dependency on God in that relationship. And he used the metaphor of a sheep with a shepherd uh, to help us understand that. And then the second week, we talked about how David found satisfaction and contentment in God. And there's a lot of things that rob us of satisfaction. Sometimes our circumstances are ever-changing, and we find ourselves in a bad spot. Sometimes relationships are in turmoil, and they're up and down. Sometimes our own health and things in our life are out of kilter, and we can become very dissatisfied and anxious about those things. But David looked to the Lord, and he says, the Lord is my shepherd. And he says, I have what I want. And so we talked about what it looks like for the God, for God to satisfy us. And of course, last week, we talked about uh, seeking God's kingdom and righteousness as a first principle in our lives. And so David says that God renews my life. He leads me along right paths for his name's sake. Now, we know that David, as a man, imperfectly navigated all these things that we've been talking about. There were times when a very proud King David looked away from God and looked to his own strengths and counted his up his own inventory and relied on himself. And there were times when, uh, you know, there were his passions and desires and his dissatisfactions that, that caused him to stumble into sin. There were times when David abandoned right paths. He crossed lines into adultery, even into murder. Uh, he did things that no godly person should ever do. And so as a man, yes, David was a man after God's heart, but he wasn't a perfect man. And so we've been looking to Jesus and we've been saying, okay, in Christ, you know, appearing as a man, God appears as a man. In Christ, we have an example of what it looks like to truly live into Psalm 23 perfectly. And Christ offers forgiveness of sin when we fall short. He offers us his Holy Spirit to cleanse us and purify us when we fall short. So Jesus is really the supreme example, I think, as we look at Psalm 23. He's the example. He's the perfecter and the author and perfecter of this life and faith that we're trying to live. And David, I think David is an example for us of restoration and renewal. That as we fall short, that as we navigate this journey, we look to David and we say, okay, he can help us understand what it's like to live this out. Uh, in 1 John, there's a verse that talks about, I think, the approach that David took to walking with God. If we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all of our sin. But if we say we don't have sin, we're deceiving ourselves, and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he's faithful and righteous, that God will forgive our sins. This is the work of Jesus. He offers forgiveness. And he also offers to cleanse us from unrighteousness. And that's the work of the Holy Spirit, to sanctify us. And so if we say we've not sinned, we make God out to be a liar and his word is not in us. David lived according to these verses. He faced his sin. He was honest about it. He struggled, but he kept coming back to God for forgiveness and cleansing. And so 
we look to him for restoration and renewal as an example of what that looks like for us. All right, so this morning, uh, we have some more ground to cover in Psalm 23. And I want us to look closely at verse 4 in Psalm 23. David is describing something that is all too real to us. He says, even when I go through the darkest valley, I fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and staff, they comfort me. Now next Sunday, uh, we're going to talk about the second part of this verse. We're going to talk about the role of God's discipline in our lives. How does God use his rod and his staff to maybe ping our conscience when our hearts are hardened? Or how does God snag us from the snare of temptation or danger or self-ruin? Or how does God comfort us with his grace so that we don't grow discouraged and weary in doing good and seeking right paths? We're going to talk about discipline next week. But this morning we're going to concentrate in on the first half of this verse. And we want to talk about fear. Uh, We can say this issue more positively, talk about courage. But I think our human experience and the thing that's very debilitating to us is fear. So David says, even when I go through the darkest valleys, I fear no danger because you are with me. The King James Version, that many of us are probably more familiar with, at least as it relates to Psalm 23, says, yeah, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. One verse uses danger, one verse uses evil. One talks about the darkest valley, one adds death explicitly. And so there's a little bit of variance in how the English translations convey this verse. And so are we talking about dark valleys, or are we talking about death itself? Are we talking about fearing danger and harm in general, or are we talking about fearing evil people specifically. So let's talk for a moment about dark valleys. You know, here in Illinois, we don't have a lot of dark valleys. We have spacious, flat cornfields, so long as the corn isn't up too high. Uh, And it's really high right now. It's doing really, really well. But you can see for miles and miles. But look at Webster's Dictionary, and you look up the idea of a valley. And geographically speaking, what is a valley? A valley is a long depression that emerges in the surface of the land. A long depression that emerges in the surface of the land. Metaphorically, spiritually speaking, what is a valley? It's much the same thing, isn't it? It's a long depression that emerges deep within a person's life. Sometimes it emerges beneath the surface before it's apparent above the surface. But a valley is a long or short depression that emerges in a person's life. And I wonder if you ever have had a valley that you've gone through in your life. Or maybe you find yourself in a valley this morning. The funny thing about a spiritual valley or a depression is they can come about and emerge rather slowly or subtly. For example, you think you're traveling on solid ground. Everything seems okay on the surface. And yet you've already begun maybe to descend Day after day, week after week, month after month, slowly you find yourself in a very uncomfortable, increasingly dark place until one day you're like, how did I get here? When did this start? You can't really pinpoint it. It was a subtle, gradual change that you experienced. But now you're where you are and you're in a dark valley. 
in a depression. Sometimes a spiritual valley or depression can come rather quickly or abruptly. Maybe you can even feel like a cliff. Somebody after first service said, sometimes it feels like a cliff. It comes on so quick. You suddenly lose your footing and you're suddenly descending and everything's changing around you and you're grabbing and grasping and for anything to slow your descent to, to give you a, a sense of security. But one day everything was fine and the next day things are very dark indeed or the next moment. Circumstances can change slowly over time or rather abruptly in a snap. You know what I'm talking about. Relationships can deteriorate slowly over time. There's changes. Or they can suddenly just explode into chaos. Your health can ebb away slowly over decades. Uh, The health of a loved one slowly. Or the health of you or someone you love can change suddenly. And you maybe even find yourself facing like literal death, right? Things can come on slowly or quickly. But when you're in the valley, whether it came on slowly or quickly, you can find yourself quite stuck and in in quite an impossible place. And many people do. And on the surface, we smile, we greet one another, everything's fine, we maintain maybe. But just beneath the surface, that valley, that depression has begun to take shape. There are many well-intentioned dragons Uh, otherwise known as Christians, that will find you in your dark depression. And some will approach you with sympathy, and they maybe will even disable you with sympathy. They'll say, oh, you poor thing. It's so sad. It's so tragic, and they'll feel sorry for you. And uh, I don't know. It's not a lot of fun to have people feeling sorry for you. But that's all that some can offer, and that's all that they do offer. And so some will come to you in sympathy and, and say those sorts of things. Some will come to you with empathy, and they'll poke you with empathy, and they'll say, how are you today? And they realize that there's a problem, and and help me understand, they'll say, and and how can I help you? Which is nice that somebody's listening, and, and they're being attentive. But then often a person will switch right into, hey, let's fix this, and, and pick yourself up. And they give advice, and they give counsel, and, and, and they're going to fix you. And, but you're sitting there, and you're like, you know, uh, maybe, maybe it can't be fixed like that, not anytime soon. Thanks, but, you know, I don't think I understand myself, let alone, I don't think I can help you understand exactly what's going on. I just feel maybe dark inside, or I'm struggling, and I, you know, I can't quantify it for you, and, and so, like, empathy can be nice, but then people can kind of go a little further there, but a lot of times when you're in a dark depression, uh, you will find a lot of apathy. People won't call out to you. They won't even notice you. They might nod at you in business as usual. They don't pursue you. And, and sometimes people are like Job's miserable comforters. They callously assume in the most spiritualistic tone, hmm, they listen to your situation and, you know, you must not have faith. That's probably why you feel the way you feel. And, and you must not be a very good Christian or, or maybe God's angry with you. Or, or, or you must have sinned or done something wrong. You know, these were all the things that Job's friends said to him. Uh, God's teaching you a lesson. Uh, I just know that if you're truly a Christian, you should have joy, not sadness. You should be on the mountaintop, not down here in this valley. And so people can kind of be judgy and, and, and lack understanding and can be kind of spiritualistic and, and whatnot. And that doesn't help, does it, when you're in a valley? People piling on guilt and shame on top of everything else 
that's already confusing and dark that's going on in your life. The concern as it relates to dark valleys is how deep is this depression going to go? How deep does this thing descend? Like, am I at the beginning of it? Am I in the middle of it? Is it going to get a whole lot worse? And not only that, but what is at the end of this thing? What is, what, what is at the bottom of this very deep, dark valley? If you've ever found yourself in a dark valley, it does, in fact, feel like death. And, and the reason it feels like death, not maybe, maybe literally, maybe physically, but the reason it feels like death is because in the valley, there's a depth of perspective. Everything gets out of perspective. There's a depth of ambition and desire. Like, do I keep trying? Do I keep moving forward? Do I stop? What do I do? There's often a depth of love. Relationships take on a very different texture and landscape when you're in a valley. There's a depth of joy, a depth of peace, a sense of being okay, a depth of confidence. But worst of all, in a valley, there's a death of hope. And we're going to talk about hope as the climax of this series in a few weeks. We're going to end on hope. But there's a death of hope. But what there isn't a death of in a valley, and what there seems to be an abundance of in a valley, is anxiety and fear. What there's an abundance of often is desperation, a desperation of the soul to want to get out of the dark place into which one now feels entombed. Your bed can feel like a tomb. Do I get out of bed or do I just stay in my grave? And that's the reality of the experience of people in dark valleys. How can a Christian ever find themselves in such a place? How can a true believer ever find themselves in such a place? How could God allow a person that he loves to ever get into such a place? We have so many questions. The psalmist, by the way, had questions. We're talking about Psalm 23. But there are many psalms. There's 150 psalms. King David was the author of many of the psalms that are in your Bible. But the psalms, if you read them, they read like journal entries. Maybe you've been journaling your life. And and when you go through these seasons, you're journaling and you've written some very dark things during those times in your life. Or maybe even right now, you're writing some very dark things. The psalmists are like journal entries. At times, the psalmists were overwhelmed with physical pain, real dangers, hardships, injustices, injuries. There were circumstances visiting them. The psalmists weren't exempt from spiritual darkness. And so if someone says, well, if you're going through a valley, you're not a godly person, you're not spiritual, Uh, Maybe you're not filled with faith, all these kinds of crazy things that people say. Uh, If the psalmists aren't godly, they went through those things. If the psalmists aren't spiritual, if the psalmists weren't faithful people, then I don't know who is. The psalmists talk about these valleys. The Apostle Paul, I encourage you last week to go read the book of Philippians. Go read the book of Corinthians. read, Read most any of the pastoral epistles. Maybe Paul at times found himself... In dark valleys, his circumstances on countless occasions languished. He alludes to circumstances of imprisonment, of, of being in riots uh, where he was the object of the riot, beatings, shipwrecks, times of hunger and thirst. You know, he's trying to pastor in, 
encourage these churches, and the, and the churches are languishing with all kinds of problems and fleshliness and carnalities and, and lost perspective and not relying on the Spirit. I mean, the list is endless. And then even in some of those churches, he had Christian brothers and sisters that would turn against him. I mean, how immensely discouraged might the Apostle Paul have found himself? You know, what kind of valleys did he traverse, right? As Paul's own health languished in prison in Philippians, Paul's like, do I just die or do I go on living? Do I, do I get up and do I per, per continue for the good and faith of others and, and do I keep investing myself and, and throwing myself at the work or, you know, it's probably better by far that I just go and be with the Lord. You know, he's wrestling with these things. And uh, we might super spiritualize the Apostle Paul and say, well, he didn't get into any kind of like funk about it. You know, he just was like a mighty warrior and these things came up and he just, are you sure? Did he wrestle and struggle like the psalmist, like King David? Okay, what about Jesus? The son of man, God in the flesh. You know, Jesus said some interesting things as well. Like in Luke 9, 58, foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. You know, there's a sadness to those words, I think, that you don't feel a sense of place, a sense of identity, a sense of belonging, a, a sense of home. You feel estranged and alienated and, and, and you're unsettled. You know, like Jesus faced that reality. All right, well, maybe that wasn't a big deal. I know whatever was in Jesus' spirit in the Garden of Gethsemane, I know that in the Garden of Gethsemane at the end of his life, that Jesus was not on some mountaintop. What, where was he? He was descending into a very dark valley. How do we know that? The Gospels tell us, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, that Jesus became sorrowful and troubled. And he said even, I am deeply grieved even to the point of death. That sounds kind of Psalm 23-ish, doesn't it? I am deeply grieved, troubled, sorrowful, even to the point of death. And he was telling his disciples, remain here and stay awake with me. But they weren't present with him in the way that he needed people to be present with him. And again, finds himself estranged and lonely and, and abandoned in the moment where he most needed other people and even God. Father, if you're willing... Take this thing away from me, this cup. And Luke tells us that his sweat became like drops of blood falling to the ground. What does that mean? Betrayed by his good friend Judas, abandoned by all of his disciples, falsely accused, sentenced to torture and death. You'd think that that would be the bottom of the valley, the bottom of the pit. But on the cross, you know, Jesus is being mocked and ridiculed. You know, he, he saved others, but he can't save himself. It gets worse. And then on the cross, those words that Jesus utters, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You know, we're in Psalm 23, right? Go back to Psalm 22 for a moment. Psalm 20, just go back one chapter. Psalm 22 
is what Jesus is quoting on the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That's Psalm 22, verse 1. He's quoting Psalm 22. There's something about Psalm 22 that Jesus is relating to and quoting on the cross to remind everybody listening of the experience that he's going through. You read Psalm 22, and it's very dark. And when you read Psalm 22, you begin to realize that there is no darkness, no valley, there's no depression that's ever visited us, past, present, or future, that hasn't also in some way visited Jesus. Hebrews 4.15 even says this. We don't have some high priest that's unable to sympathize with us in our weaknesses. We have one, referring to Christ, who's been tempted in every way just as we are, yet without sin. Those pressures, those depressions, that trouble, that sorrow, that grief, that sense of isolation, all these things that we think are unique to us were experienced by the psalmist, the apostle Paul, by the Son of God himself. Where do we get this idea? And I think this is something that is wrong and and needs to be addressed within the body of Christ. But where do we get this notion that every single one of us, that if you're a true Christian, a true believer, that we're going to be exempt from dark valleys? It's like... We don't allow space for people to go through dark valleys. Uh, Are we better than King David? Are we better than the Apostle Paul? Are we more spiritual than Jesus himself? I'll tell you what comes before a spiritual fall. It's spiritual pride. And there's kind of a spiritual pride that says, I'm never going to have to worry about walking through a valley. I'm never going to have to worry about any kind of a depression. You know, about the time you say something like that and your arrogance and pride, guess what visits you? You know, there's a lot of well-intentioned but very spiritualistic, superior, proud-filled people that love to pile it on the weak. And instead of helping the weak, they pile on this kind of guilt, this kind of shame, and and I'm I'm looking down my nose at you, and I'm not going to... Lift a finger to help you. It sounds kind of pharisaical, but that's the reality that often gets piled on people going through dark valleys within the body of Christ. And can you imagine a worse thing? David mentions not fearing evil while he's in a valley. And the word evil, uh, that has a very strong moral overtone to it. And so is he talking about evil here? And evil people and evil things. And we could talk about that a lot. You know, in First and Second Kings, you read First and Second Samuel, and you read the Psalms. And you can imagine, how did David feel? You know, he used to play the harp to soothe the spirit of King Saul. But then after a while, the spirit of Saul, you know, Saul becomes unhinged and deranged. And, and pretty soon you've got King Saul chasing David through caves and across. You know, he's hunting down David to kill him, right? And David knows what it was like to be hunted by evil and on mountains and in valleys and in caves. And, and is that what he is referring to? The Apostle Paul was hunted down by Judaizers who wanted to silence him and cancel him from proclaiming the gospel. Jesus was hunted down by the chief priests and Pharisees and Sadducees and, and even his own good friend Judas, you know. And there's a, a sense in which evil can pursue us and, and that we need to deal with that as an idea. But in this passage, in Psalm 23, the evil that is alluded to is more general. It's evil in terms of, like, distress or adversity or bad things happening. 
things that cause misery or injury or calamity. But there's bad things that happen. And when you're already in a valley, that's a valley, but, but, but then bad things come. You know, it's like piling on. It's like how much more, you know, one more thing can be like the straw that breaks the camel's back. How much more is going to get added to my situation here? And, and David's saying, I, I don't fear more stuff coming along. In the wilderness, the Israelites, they continually murmured and complained at everything. We don't have meat. You know, we don't have water. We don't have food. We don't have this. We don't have that. Our feet are getting sore, you know. We had better things and accommodations back in Egypt. That's what we do, right? And so how do we navigate these inevitably deep, dark valleys of depression that come our way? These valleys where other bad things can get piled on to us. By the way, I was looking at this verse and I was like, what's the word dark in Hebrew convey? It's not just a valley, it's a dark valley. So you look up the word dark and I started, it's like the, the, the idea of darkness in the Hebrew is the idea of a shadow. That sometimes a bad thing, an evil or a danger, that something can come along that's so large to us that it casts a shadow over everything around us, including our own soul. So there's not just the reality. Just even a small thing that comes along can just cast such a big shadow, a disproportionate shadow over us. I wonder how many of you are going through something in your life right now that's so overwhelming and that there's just this one thing that has come along... And it seems to be casting the deepest, darkest shadow. And, and even to the point of blocking out the goodness of God. You can't even see God. This thing is so big. It's so disproportionately big. You know, the moon, uh, even though it's just a fraction, one four hundredth the size or whatever. I don't know if that's the exact thing. But it's one percentage of whatever the sun is, right? But, you know, if things align a certain way, you know, that moon can bark can block out a greater light. And that's often, that's what Hebrew, the Hebrew word's talking about, is that it's a darkest fire. It's already dark, but now it's really, really dark because now things have aligned in a way and there's circumstances and, and whatnot, and it's, it's made it worse. So how do we get out of these dark valleys? Well, I have three simple steps for you to follow. If you could just grab a note, no, it doesn't work that way. You'd like it if I could give you three simple steps. And, uh, you know, Paul Boatman back there, a counselor, would probably get up and walk out right at, at that point. But I don't have 12 steps for you either. But I can offer you what the Word of God offers you and what King David offers you, and that is encouragement and hope. Psalm 23.4, no matter how dark things get, no matter how deep and dark or, or far that valley goes, David says, even though I walk through the darkest valley, I fear no danger because you are with me. Because you are with me. You know, I don't want to brush over and read that too quickly. In fact, I think we ought to just kind of sit in that for a moment and absorb it. It sounds kind of simple, but it's not simplistic. I fear no danger because you are with me. I fear no danger, say it, because you are with me. There's a poem that was written in the 16th century by a Spanish mystic and poet named St. John of the Cross. And the poem is titled, 
The Dark Night of the Soul. And it's a poem that, even though it was written hundreds and hundreds of years ago, it's still an encouragement to Christians even today. It's been an encouragement to Christians for centuries, much like Psalm 23. People that have found themselves in dark valleys, in depressions. It's a poem about how inevitably, when we pass from this life to the next, how the, 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 the direction we go in life, that, that in life, everything eventually gets stripped away so that only the truly necessary thing remains in front of us. And we experience that in depression, that, that everything we've been putting our confidence in and looking to for meaning and purpose and satisfaction and joy eventually fails us. Everything starts to fade away and get peeled away. And that can be very disconcerting and very discouraging. And, 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 and some people say, well, there's nothing else to live for even. But as that stuff clears away, there's something that becomes even more clear that we need even more. And the truly good thing comes into sharper and sharper focus. And that's what David is saying here. He's saying, yeah, I'm walking through the deepest valley, the darkest valleys, but I'm not afraid these bad things are going on, all this stuff's starting to pile on. I'm not afraid because... God is becoming a greater reality in the midst of all the loss and pain and darkness. The light's shining ever brighter. There's a kind of spiritual clarity that's starting to come and, and the clouds are parting. And there's something very hopeful and real and tangible. And it's God himself coming to me in this dark valley. That's pretty powerful stuff. It should be an encouragement and hope to us. The Apostle Paul <clears throat> found... Like, he talks about how the earth is groaning for redemption. But also how we, in these bodies, how we groan. Ah, that's a good word, I think, for depression, for darkness is groaning. Like, we're groaning because it's, ugh. There's something that we're longing for. And our, our experience is so dissatisfying and disconcerting. And, and, and Paul says we groan in that kind of weakness. But as we're groaning, Romans 8, we realize God hasn't destined us for groaning, but for his glory, for himself. And as we're groaning, God's spirit is coming alongside of us and interceding on our behalf. That other people may not be laying their hands on us, but the Holy Spirit's laying his hands on us and is interceding and praying for us through that dark valley. And and praying for us maybe in a way that we're not even praying for ourselves. And even more than that, all things, even the bad things, all things are working to the good, not the bad, of those who love God. And Paul says, who can separate us from the love of God? Can affliction or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or a sword? He's got much longer list, by the way, in Corinthians. But no. In everything, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor present things, nor things that are to come, nor powers, heights, right, mountaintops, depths, valleys, no other created thing is going to be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Paul's saying, there's groaning 
but there's a longing and there's a satisfaction. And the reality of God is becoming bigger and bigger, even as things around me seem to be going darker and darker. Psalm 22. Did the Father forsake his one and only Son, Jesus Christ, that Friday night on the cross? Uh, Did the Father forsake Jesus as the cruel darkness of the cross cast the darkest imaginable shadow over the whole earth? Did God abandon Jesus? Is that why Jesus said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Or was Jesus telling us, for the rest of the story, go to Psalm 22. Here's Psalm 22, 1. Did he have the presence of mind to say, I know what this looks like. And I know how everybody else will see this dark moment. But go to Psalm 22.1. Well, in Psalm 22.1, you read along and the first 18 verses of Psalm 22 are pretty dark. And you read Psalm 22, the first 18 verses, and it forecasts the hellish dark night of the soul that not even the Son of God would be exempt from. But then in verse 19, there's this sharp change, this break. And the psalmist says, but you, Lord, don't be far off. My strength, come quickly to help me. Not not I'm my own strength, but you're my strength. My strength, you come help me. Rescue my life from the sword. My only life from the power of these dogs. Save me from this lion's mouth, from the horn's of wild oxen. You know, the beautiful thing about poetry is that it uses tangible images to talk about inexpressible things, and, and, and it's hard to express the pain and, and, and loss and, and danger and, and all that that's going on, that turmoil. But you, Lord, don't be far off. And get ready, let the goosebumps start to form. Verse 21 You answered me. You answered me. I will proclaim your name to my brothers and sisters. I will praise you in the assembly. You who fear the Lord, praise him. For he has not despised or abhorred the torment of the press. He did not hide his face from him, Jesus. But he listened when he cried out for help. For those of us and you who are willing to love God and fear God and call out to him, Psalm 23.4 will be the defining reality and hope of your life. It won't be a maybe. It'll be the reality. That no matter how deep or dark a place you descend, that if you would call out on the name of the Lord, even though I walk through the valley of darkest death, I fear no evil. You are with me. You are with me. This is a radically different pattern of life. Don't you agree that we've been laying out here in Psalm 23? You're with me. I'm not going alone. I'm not separate. I'm not cut off. I'm not forsaken. I'm not abandoned in this valley. Other people haven't been with me in the way that I've need. But God, you are my God. You And you... I find the strength, the help that I need. Don't grow discouraged. Don't grow weary. Continue to lean on the Lord in the darkness. Let's pray. Dear Father, we thank you, not just for David, not just for Paul. We thank you for Christ himself. 
You set an example for us of what it looks like to cry out to you in the darkness and to be heard and to be loved and be known and to be seen and to be met with comfort and strengthening by your spirit. And it reminds us of what we can anticipate and what we can ask for as well. And even if we don't know how to ask for it the right way, your spirit intercedes for us if we love you. So may we turn to you in love and ask that it, this darkness part and that you become ever clear to us in worship and life. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.